You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I'm your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you. This time, I'm delving into the various panels that I've recorded at different cons. I know that I've published a couple of those in the past, but I really haven't done much with those. And I was just looking at my backlog, and I saw that I had over 20 panels that I'd recorded from various cons over the years. And... I thought, gee, why am I recording a bunch of new panels on the show when I've got all these panels sort of banked up? So it's not really changing anything about what we're doing. We're still going to be releasing episodes that we've recorded and whatnot, but I thought this was a good opportunity, especially now while a lot of media is paused because of COVID-19 to start releasing some of these. Obviously, I'm going to look through them and see if anything's obsolete and kind of throw that out. But this one that I'm releasing from Chicago TARDIS 2016, yes, it's from that far back. In fact, I even mentioned that I don't have a podcast yet on the recording, although I'm working on one. So you can sort of see that the the show, you know, how far back in the show's history it was. But it's still valid because the topic of the conversation is about how there is so much media for Doctor Who way more than any other franchise. Star Trek may be close, but I don't think even Star Trek has the amount of media. When you add up the number of, I guess, words of fiction as well as the hours of content, especially with Big Finish and just the sheer number of audio dramas that have been done for Doctor Who, there's just... Way more, I think, but, you know, if anyone's going to give them a run for its money, it's Star Trek, but definitely, other than Star Trek, there's nothing even close to the amount of media out there as there is for Doctor Who, so I'm kind of curious, you know, uh, what people think about this, you know, if this is a topic that people are interested in, but it was a fun topic to talk about at the con And so, hey, it's something that I can share with all of you, so uh, as far as things go here, same as it has been. Beth and I are watching Picard. Uh, We still haven't quite finished. We have three more episodes left to go. We've been watching through old MST3K episodes when we can. We're keeping up with the uh, DC shows on the CW. We're looking forward to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming back in about a week and a half. That's going to be nice to have that during the summer. I was thinking of watching Stargirl on the CW, but I think I'm going to wait until we pay for the DC Universe service and get the longer versions of the episodes rather than the cut ones that are going to air on the CW. You know, since we're going to be watching Titans and Doom Patrol and Young Justice anyway, I just figure, hey, if we're going to pay for the thing, might as well get the versions of Stargirl that have the the full episode. So we'll probably wait on that one. 
But yeah, um, other than that, oh, watching through Quantum Leap, too. We're about midway through season four now, so that's the last of the, like, old series from my childhood that I'm getting Beth to watch through with me, and so far she's really digging it, which is really good. And Angie has sent me Warehouse 13 as the next series that she's recommending to me to watch, so I'll start that once Quantum Leap's done. So, hey, things are progressing. But, yeah, I mean, otherwise, we're still in lockdown. You know, things are what they are. So, yeah, I wish that I could give more of an update and had more exciting stuff going on, but not really right now. So, what I'm going to do, we're going to pause for a promo from another podcast, then we're going to go into the panel, and then we're just going to go to the song. I'm not going to have an outro. Remember the ESO Patreon at patreon.com slash ESO Network. If you can contribute anything to us, email us at everything at 42cast.com. Go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. Tweet to us at at 42cast or uh, go to the website 42cast.com leave some comments there or leave comments on Stitcher Radio or Apple Podcasts you know if you want to give us feedback that's great we love it but yeah then we'll just go into the song right after the panel no outro and we'll you know be back next week with another panel Uh, so this is Nathan signing off for now Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. You know how Disney kind of like puts films on an assembly line, but you know that when you're getting something from Pixar because it takes so long to craft, that there's a lot of care put into it. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Playing worldwide on radio seven days a week. Your favorite podcast app and right here on the ESO Network. discussing the expanded universe, things like the Big Finish audio dramas, the books, the comics, uh, basically everything that's not the television show. I'm John Clark, I'm the host of the Caffeinated Comics Podcast, uh, and I'm a writer in marketing and corporate culture. Uh, My name is Nathan Laws. Um, For several years, I was the co-producer of a podcast that was aptly named by my friend Sean, Sean Castic. Um, I've also been a guest on on various podcasts, but I'm starting my own, starting with the new year, which is called The 42 Cast, uh, which is a tee-up off the uh, Douglas Adams uh, answer to life, the universe, and everything being 42. I call my podcast the answer to fandom geekiness and everything. Uh, So uh, I have business cards here up front in case you are interested. The email address does work, uh, although the website is not yet published. So in January, look for that. Cool. Hey, I'm, I'm Nathan Scresslet. I'm the artist behind uh, Pixel Who. Um, we're over in the uh, dealer room if you want to check out our stuff. But we do original 8-bit Doctor Who artwork. Um, also did the uh, cover of the program many of you are probably holding right now. Um, yeah, and uh, this uh, past two years, actually, we've been working with the BBC on our mobile game. Great. So to jump right in, uh, we have over we have 53 years of Doctor Who, not counting this year where there was nothing. But uh, we've had almost a thousand episodes. It's hard for anyone to digest, especially someone coming in late. And 
in addition to that, we have all these other media serving <coughs> the same franchise. We have hundreds of novels and, and comic books and games and audio uh, dramas. So the question is, is there a saturation point? And uh, the more important question, as, as a fan, uh, where a lot of us are also, how many people in the room are co consider themselves collectors? A few. <laughs> so in terms of a collecting mentality, there is this feeling of, I want everything. I want to be able to have everything. And even if it's something you can't uh, tangentially collect, you, we can go to the dealer room and get every action figure. But uh, you want to have seen every episode. You want, to have, you want to know everything the doctor has done. You want to be well-versed in the doctor's history. Is it at all possible? And if it's not, where do you draw the line? Well, I think that there's also the question of when we say, is it all too much? Is it, all, is it that there's too much because it's too expensive? Or is it too much because we don't have enough time? Because, you know, those are two, there's two different problems there that aren't quite related to each other. Well, I think the third thing is, is there enough space as well? Right, it's true. <laughs> you know, to put all this stuff. So, like the TARDIS, the question is time and space. You know? And, and money. I I think it's more time than space because with the internet, there's so many ways you can get things. At the very least, legally, you can connect to somebody who will lend you one of their books or audio dramas. Yeah, it used uh, to be a lot more difficult to obtain this stuff. Right. Yeah. This that was the reason we would have conventions like yeah. this, mm -hmm. just to be able to meet people that like the show. Yeah. Because you'd be in your town and you'd be the only one. Yeah. Now you can get anything you want on Amazon. You're only restricted by your financial. Right. Uh, and you can get anything situation. that ever was on eBay. Yeah, I, I, my copy of Curse of the Fatal Death might actually be a bootleg because back in the day they used to say, "Oh, that'll never be allowed in the U.S. because it was done for charity." So I actually purchased it at a con. It was a bootleg copy that was, you know, copied onto a, a, a U.S. VCR NTSC format, so I could watch it. And so I thought, well, it's legit because it'll never be offered here. Then, of course, like two years later, it was offered here, and I felt kind of bad. Right. But, my yeah. copy of the Curse of Fatal Death exists on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So the, there is that, and there's also that mentality of, uh, I think you brought up a great point, and since it's coming from overseas, mm -hmm. what's available there that's not available here, which, yeah. which increases its rarity, or increases the likelihood you won't be able to get it. Mm -hmm. I, I did figure out how to hack my DVD player so that I could buy the Region 2 version of The Chase, because it has the scene with the Beatles in it that's cut from our version. So. Oh. <laughs> well, just now, well, now they sell the Region 3 stuff. So if you right. really want to, yeah. you can get an all-region player. We were right. just discussing the the chase. What is the what is the Beatle footage? Oh, uh, so the time-space visual when they're playing with the time-space visualizer, mm -hmm. they each take a moment in history they want to watch. And to Vicky, the Beatles are ancient history, but she's like, oh, I want to I want to see the Beatles because you know they're legendary. And so they actually it's a whole music video clip of the Beatles performing on some BBC program or other. So yeah, yeah. they didn't come to Doctor Who and shoot it. They right. just no, picked no. something else. Archival up footage. Yeah. Do you remember what song it was? I think it's it was a good ride. Oh yes, you're right. Was it? Yeah, good ride. Yeah, because I can always imagine Ian going. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he does kind of like dad singing, dancing. Yeah, you know, Trotton did have that swing in the London 60s, Austin Powers in this to it. But Nathan, what do you think? Yeah. Um, how much capacity do you think you have? Uh, it, literally, my entire office is made of bookshelves. Um, how so full are those bookshelves? They're very full, in fact. Um, you know, I, I started out when I was eight years old collecting Target books, <laughs> and that was kind of my gateway drug. 
it took me probably 14 years to complete all of those, and by then, of course, you know, then there were the Virgin novels, and then there were the, you know, the first BBC uh, Eighth Doctor range, and you know, uh, at the same time, there's you know, nonfiction reference books and all that stuff, and literally, you know, they're just covering my entire entire uh, house, but um, it's it's really hard to say no. Yeah. No, I agree. I've got three shelves devoted to CDs mm-hmm. <laughs> with all the different audio uh, dramas, and like you, I have all the bookshelves yeah. and everything. My wife thinks it's insane, but you know, mm-hmm. I just keep, I just keep getting. But it. what you were saying earlier, though, I, th- I think it's also an issue of brain space because I've read all of those books, but I couldn't necessarily quote you the plot of probably half of them. Right. You that know? that's a major problem. I was just reading. Um, I bought a long run of of Spider-Man on eBay that I hadn't read before, and I I. Just started with issue one, and I'm like around issue 80 of it. Mm-hmm. And I've been reading it for a couple of weeks, and they, just today, he mentioned a villain came back, and he's like, I thought you were dead. And I'm like, when did that happen? Mm-hmm. And I realized it happened when I read it four days ago, mm-hmm. but it's already out of my head yeah. because more content is pouring in. And that, and that becomes an issue. I think uh, the important thing is what do you remember and what do you care about? Mm-hmm. So if, there are, if something happens in a book that you cared about more than something that happened in season eight, that's going to become part of your personal canon, but that doesn't mean it's part of my personal canon, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, for me, a lot of that, that issue of canon is actually a really good discussion, too, because to me, the books came out right after the series ended. I'm talking about the Virgin New Adventures. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I always saw that as a legitimate continuation of the series um, because they, the one came right after the other ended. Um, and so it's been difficult for me, like with Big Finish and comics and the new series and everything else, because they all say, well, I don't care about those books. And sometimes they do, you know, specific authors will. But for the most part, they're like, we're going to do our own thing and we're not going to worry about what happened in the books, especially since the, that line of original novels that aren't tie-ins to an existing series is done. Um, and so uh, to me, the books have a sort of primacy in that respect. Big Finish has a primacy because it's actually the actors themselves in it. Uh, and so to me, one of the things that I do is I kind of don't even look at the comics. Because to me, there's already so much content with two things that I consider to be fairly prime sources of Doctor Who. And the comics to me feel like, well, that's just another step removed from prime Doctor Who. I am intrigued by some of the things that I hear from time to time. I know that there are some good runs out there. There were the fourth Doctor Adventures that came out a while back that I was curious about. And now there's third Doctor Adventures and, you know, all sorts of things. But, um, you know, that's how I've limited myself because it does get to be too much. And there is a time factor. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting point. I'd like to build on that and something that John asked us earlier about collectors. He said, how many people here are collectors? Perhaps there are different types of collectors. There are are absolute completists who will buy anything and everything, even if they think it's total crap. Like somebody who hates time in the ranting will have to have that in their collection because it's Doctor Who. Whereas, you know, to, to your point, there is so much. There's almost no way now that you can listen to every single Big Finish audio. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you do it in your car on the way to work. So which other collectors <laughs> will, will take the path that you took, which is I will only collect the things I care about, and this other stuff, I'm just it's dead to me. I'm not even going to pay attention to. 
yeah, there are other things that Big Finish does that I'd love to listen. I'd love to listen to the Blake Seven stuff that they're doing. But there's so much Doctor Who that I still haven't listened to. And that's even with, I almost don't even listen to music in the car anymore because it's constant <laughs> Big Finish. You know, every time I take a ride somewhere, it's some new audio drama. So I just have to say, uh, big, you know, Blake Seven, I'm sorry, but, you know, even though I love you, you know, that I love Doctor Who more, so I'm going to stay with that. Yeah, you have to set your personal limitations at some point. I mean, it, you're, like you said, it's impossible to, almost physically and financially impossible, I think, to collect every single thing that is out there. Um, like, uh, I would love to collect all of the toys. But it's just, there's too much. So I limited myself to just collecting Daleks. Um, yeah, I, I started just collecting Doctors, and that didn't last that long. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, you have to have a Dalek, and you have to have this TARDIS. Oh, uh, yeah, the thing with the toys is that it's like, these are all the toys I wanted when I was a kid. Yes. Because I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was five. Right, right, right. So, so you know, I always wanted there to be associated with, you know, Star Wars had action figures, you know, Star Trek had action figures, everything yeah. else had action figures, but not Doctor Who. And so. the quality is remarkably <laughs> oh, high now. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, toy collecting is is my Achilles heel because I grew up um, I grew up when their Migos had just ended and Star Wars was out and Star Wars was amazing, but that's all there was. Mm -hmm. And I think when Star Trek One came out, they had figures. So there weren't even figures for Marvel and DC when I was a kid. So now I'm in my 40s and uh, I just bought the Doctor Strange Marvel Legends because they never made Dormammu before. <laughs> and, you know, I have children I will give Dormammu to and they won't play with him. <laughs> but there is that feeling of. Uh, I need this because I wasn't able to get it before. And I yeah. think that can extend to a lot of collecting. Just, oh, yeah. I'm an adult who has mm -hmm. their own income. I don't have to ask, I don't have to ask mom mm -hmm. to get me that Doctor Who and explain why it's not the Doctor Who that we already have at home. There's right. that, that feeling of, of freedom to it. Do you, because Doctor Who is now multi-generational. Yeah. Do you see any generational shifts in the types of things that people <coughs> collect or pay attention to? Well, I think the books are not as paid attention to anymore because for a long time they were gone. I know they've reprinted them, and I don't know what that's doing to fandom. Uh, but I mean, even Big Finish was redoing a lot of them as audio dramas. It would, that's something that I did sort of discount from Big Finish because I was like, I'm already getting so much from Big Finish, and since I've already read these books and they're in my library, I don't need those things. But people who have listened to them love them. They say that they're excellent. Um, but yeah, I think that the books are something that have kind of gone by the wayside because what comes out now is mostly tie-in books to the existing season that's going on, you know, currently. So it's, those tend to have less appeal to me. For my impression, you know, other shows do this too, that people don't really go out and buy those as much because they're usually not <coughs> important, I should say. Uh, you know, because uh, like when the books, when the series was over and the books were continuing the line, important events happened, new companions, uh, you know, major events. But they can't do that in the books anymore because the, the major, right. you know, it's the series is well, the main thing. The entire Eighth Doctor's history is only contained in audio dramas and books right, because right. He, made, he made the one movie and then we had the short which wrapped him up. Mm -hmm. But everything in between, and uh, we just mentioned this in the last panel, in his short he mentions companions that were yeah. in the books. Mm -hmm. and that was a wonderful dramas. nothing. So, yeah. And that's kind of the trap of Doctor Who uh, is that the timeline's fairly elastic. First of all, he's a time traveler. Also, he shows up in an episode, he says he's 100 years older. We don't know what's happened in those 100 years, but you can fill that hole with these books and these audio dramas. They rarely do something to contradict what's going on in the series, so it could all be canon. It's not like Marvel, where you're clearly watching Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark in a movie, but you're not reading Robert Downey Jr. Mm -hmm. in the comics. 
there are two separate versions of that character to live. Doctor Who, because of regeneration, because yeah. of the elastic time, it could all be canon. Yeah. And that's not even focusing on some of the side characters. Like, you could have sure. a, Adam Vastra and Strax mm -hmm. having their own set of adventures, just like a Lightfoot and audience. Mm -hmm. I'd watch now it. Now they're a whole section, the whole table section of them by themselves. Not the doctor. Yeah, and the spin-offs are another thing. Like, I don't know that I have the time to watch class. You know, with everything else that's in my DVR and on Netflix. Right. Like, um, yeah. I, I don't know that I have enough room for everything that's on television. I, 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 do you find that other people who collect other things, like books, toys, uh, comic books, will try to influence or steer you into their type of like, hey, try comics, right? Yeah. Oh, sure. I have been resisting hero clips for about seven years. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have friends that are like, well, well you should. How, well, how you, successfully? Uh, they came over to my house and they saw everything else I collected and they went, no, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I have a room in my basement that's long boxes of comics and that's, uh, and that's toys. And I'm trying to pull myself out of DVDs now because everything's gone to streaming. Mm -hmm. You know, is Doctor Who exists on Amazon Prime? Do I need every season of New Who on Blu-ray with I already had it on mm -hmm. DVD? Uh, my answer is yes because when Amazon Prime drops it like Netflix did, nice. I still want to watch those episodes. Mm -hmm. But it there is this quality of we're move, especially with content where it's not something like a toy. But things like books, DVDs, audio dramas, we can download all of that. Mm -hmm. So how important is it to go into the deal room and pick it up and hold it in your hands? Right, and that's one of the things I was going to bring up. But the, pri the problem is primarily a money one. There are alternatives, such as Big Finish allows download only instead of CDs. Now, I'm one of those crazy people that needs to have physical media. Uh, I used to justify it because they used to have such nice liner notes in there. They've stopped doing that, which has annoyed me to no end. But you haven't you know, stopped buying them? But, but I haven't stopped buying them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like having the physical media. I like, you know, CDs do tend to have better quality than the MP3 downloads mm -hmm. and everything else. So, you know, I, I do sort of justified it like having them on my shelf but yeah I mean and they do those sales you know Big Finish does sales periodically that will discount a whole range uh, during their 15th anniversary they discounted everything on the website which was a great opportunity I picked up a lot of stuff uh, that way so um, there are ways to you know kind of help yourself out with the money side of things it doesn't help with the time issue yeah um, I found that I, I'm okay you know buying a lot of the comic ranges digitally mm -hmm. um, but you know Books and uh, like episodes, I, I have to mm -hmm. have those where I can see them. You know. Yeah, there there is a feeling of looking at your bookshelf. Yeah, they're, they're like they're it's my trophy room essentially. Yeah, yeah, because you're yeah. going to look at the spines of those books way more than you'll look at the inside of any yeah. book. I mean, uh, I have a lot of Marvel omnibuses <laughs> that I know I have the back issues in a box downstairs in the basement. Mm -hmm. But when I'm in my office, I can look at it mm -hmm. and I can pull that book out and look at John Byrne X Men and then put it away mm -hmm. and not have to worry about the condition. There's there are some things that. I collect them multiple times. Mm -hmm. You know, I bought the DVDs, but then the Blu-rays came out. They're going to look better, and they'll take up yeah. just a little less space on the shelf. Mm -hmm. so we can get another one in there. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm about this close to having replaced all of my VHSs with DVDs. Yep. Wow. Yep. But, but, a couple but then, what do you do when they discontinue? Then I'm and, very and sad. It's on, it's on eBay for three hundred dollars. I know. That's uh, that was one of my problems when I was you know trying to complete a bunch of my book sets is that a lot of them at that point were out of print mm -hmm. and were astronomically expensive. 
Yeah. Some um, of the ones towards the end of Virgin's range yes. when they only printed a limited number because they knew they were losing the license and had to pulp anything left over. Right. The Dying Days, Lung yeah. Borrow, uh, So Violacin, all three of those sold oh. for ridiculous prices on yeah. eBay. And that'll keep you collecting because you, know, right. you, you can get tired of reading these things but you know what? I skipped the last one, and now it's 150 bucks on eBay, so yeah. I, I should buy it. Yeah. Tenth Doctor? So I have, um, when I, when I was, um, when I first watched the show, I knew, I didn't watch the old Who, mm -hmm. so I thought I was going to watch that later. And then, when I came here, I learned there was Big Finish and Comic Books, <laughs> and so that overwhelmed me so much, I think, that I stopped watching it. Is that why you came in here? Just, to, just to kind of get some quiet space? Yes. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't say a lot for this panel. <laughs> Want to take a nap? <laughs> Yeah. Well, there oh, there are all sorts of things that you can do to you know to, you know there's discounting whole ranges like I said, which isn't to say that there's no quality there. It's just for me there's certain primacy to certain media. But there's also things that you can do. Uh, a lot of people run blog. I mean, I actually have a blog also that I, it's called Blogger Who, not to be confused with Blogger Who, which is someone completely different. But <laughs> it's bloggerwho.livejournal.com. But anyway, um, where I review what I'm listening to. And I have sort of like the long review, and then there's the short review at the very end for people who don't want to read my long spiel or who don't want to have anything spoiled for them about the story. Uh, and so that way you can sort of sift through and see, uh, you know, hey, there's a whole bunch of these audios. You know, I'll find ones that he's rated highly. You know, find someone you trust. There's all sorts of reviewers out there if you do any kind of Google search. And then that way you can sort of limit yourself that way. Well, I'm going to, you know, listen to things that a lot of people are saying good things about so I can sort of limit you know, myself from having to listen to everything out there. Yeah, I understand your, your quandary though, like I, I'm an old school fan who started with the old series. My wife is a new series fan and uh, she's very intimidated about diving into the, the older stuff and, um, and it is difficult actually to find a lot of that unless like me you already own all of it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you either have to make friends with someone who has a really good video collection or you know, find what you can online. And that can be difficult. Right. I, uh, I'm actually, I was old enough to be into Old Who, but I just wasn't. I was more into Star Trek and Star Wars when I was a kid. And uh, I got into it with New Who. And then once I had exhausted New Who, and at that point, um, Matt Smith was still the doctor, so there were less episodes than there are now. But once I had seen everything, I'm like, all right, let's go back. And uh, what I did, there was no way I could start with William Hartnell and go through 50 years. It's, it's just too daunting. Mm -hmm. So I looked for reviews, like, like Nathan's reviews of like, uh, oh, I know everybody loved Tom Baker, so what's the best Tom Baker story? And then what's his companion? And then I, I sampled those, and then, I, and then I did these big swings just to feel like I was watching a different show. Let's watch The Seventh Doctor, and okay, I've seen that now, let's watch The Second Doctor. And it took about a year but uh, I had gotten to a point through Amazon Prime and Hulu and borrowing DVDs uh, and things that were on YouTube where it was like, oh, now I've seen them all. But there, it's, there's no way to do it in order. I think the, the way I'd recommend it is just do a little of each doctor just to kind of see what the show was about at that point. And then you'll decide if you really like Peter Davison. Well, you know there's more of it. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely if you're feeling intimidated, that's the best way to go. I think the worst thing that people do, though, is most people, when they try to go back and watch the classic series, or even if they're just trying to dip into William Hartnell, watch An Unearthly Child, which is by no means his best story, and they make a snap decision about... William Hartnell's doctor without experiencing some of his better stories where he his character actually you know it's it's what we would call character arc nowadays where he actually grows and changes as a person throughout that first season um, so uh, I would definitely not recommend that but you, you had a, another thing you wanted to say that was your experience. Oh, oh that yeah, was yeah. your experience, yeah. And that is a difficult one to, to see, and especially because the doctor acts so nasty in that. And if you're coming from now and going back and watching that, it's like, wow, it's, it's, oh, the doctor's so nasty. I, you know, I don't know if I like this guy. Just give it a few episodes. He mellows considerably. I always say William Hartnell is more like Yoda. As his character becomes, he is very much a Yoda-like character. He, he laughs a lot. He's, 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 he likes being smarter than everybody, but he's kind of fun in how he does it. You know, and that's, that's good heart, though. Uh, no, no show is great in its first season. Yeah. Sure. Like, I remember when Star Trek The Next Generation started, I watched Encounter Counter Farpoint, and I was like, well, this is terrible. <laughs> and then I didn't come back until Spock showed up. <laughs> but when I came back, I was like, wait, this show is great. And then I went through, but those first two seasons were oh, still mm-hmm. hard to get through. Like any episode where they're wearing tights is not going to be great. <laughs> so, uh, with something like Doctor Who, until Riker gets a beard, right? Yeah. But even then, you're yeah, in the yeah, second yeah. season; they're yeah, still yeah, wearing yeah. the tights. Yes, yeah, I was young enough. I was seven when it came yeah. out, so I was I was still like, oh, it's new Star Trek. Wow, you know. But yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. I was, I've gone back and watched it. and I'm like, oh god, that was awful back it, then. It was yeah. rough. <laughs> I remember seeing him going, well, Kirk and Spock are still making movies, so. right? <laughs> <laughs> but. It's always good to find the best of the best, and that'll, and that'll kind of let you in. When I introduced my wife to Doctor Who, we watched Blink, because I oh, yeah. knew it was a great single story that would hook her in. And I, I was watching it when she was out of the house, so we didn't start it together. Mm-hmm. But then she ended up seeing everything, because it was, it was a great story that you could understand. It didn't rely on continuity, and it let you in. Now, Nathan, uh, being an aficionado of Big Finish in the books, would you say there is a Blink of the books? Is there a really big gateway? Um, ah, for the books. Or a big finish. Oh, oh, yeah, um, so for the books, um, I mean, certainly the, the past Doctor ones were more standalone. The new adventures and the eighth Doctor adventures were more of a continuing series kind of thing. So you can dip into any of the past Doctor books and just read an isolated one. It's fine. You'll understand what's going on. Um, as far as a specific one, I mean, let me think here. Um, I'll, give a few, I'll give a few recommendations here. The new adventures... I, I do feel it's best to start with the new adventures in the beginning with the Time Worm series, uh, which is the first four books they did. Um, it takes on right after the original series ended. They're very high quality. They're, they're by established writers. Uh, you get Terrence Dix in there. Uh, you get John Peel, who's gotten kind of a bad rap for things that happened later, but that was a good book. And Paul Cornell, who is a very well-known name, who's written for the new series, uh, written uh, the comics, some of the comics as well, um, but uh, started as novelist. Are they all eight Doctor stories? Or no, the, those are seven. Oh, this so is the new, yeah, this was when yeah, the show originally got up. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, those, some of them are pretty out there. I mean, a lot of like, yeah. like Kate Orman's ones are, are yeah, pretty, some, uh, some of the new adventures. Yeah. Well, they were experimenting with the fact that they now consider Doctor Who to be adult. Mm-hmm. So some of the later ones, not those first four, but some of the later ones do get into things that would be kind of risque. You might not want a young child to read. Oh, <laughs> 
Staplesen. Right. <laughs> um, there's definitely some swearing in them and stuff, stuff like that that wouldn't, you know, they, they adult themes. Yeah, adult themes. Yeah, adult themes, yes. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I would start with Time Worm with those. Now, with the past doctors, it really depends on what doctors you like. Because um, there are, I think there are some of those past doctor books that are awful. Uh, and some that are excellent. And it depends on your love of a particular era or not. Um, like for Hartnell, uh, The Witch Hunters is very good uh, by Steve Lyons. And I also really enjoyed uh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, but, you know, for, for Troughton, there's The Dark Path. For Pertwee, there's The Scales of Injustice. There, there's all sorts of ones um, that I really enjoyed. It, it, but it depends on if you like that era or not. Are there certain authors you trust more than others? I, yeah, Paul Cornell, I would put up there as a high one. Um, I also really like uh, David McEntee. Uh, he has his detractors because he tends to go with what I'd call almost a filmic quality to his books. Some people say, well, he'd rather be writing movies or something, because they come off as very cinematic in their reading. But he's also, I think, very good at finding the voice of a particular doctor and companion. So even though it is kind of like the doctor and companion are suddenly now in like a Hollywood blockbuster instead of their normal, you know, BBC, you know, constrained sets and whatnot, it's, they're exciting, they're fun, and the characters feel right to me. So I like him. Uh, Christopher Bullis is another one, which uh, again is kind of one of these ones. I trust him immensely. He is, it feels to me like I am watching a TV story. So almost kind of like the, the other side uh, also gets the characters right, but he, he all, his books could almost be scripts uh, for the series. So I really enjoy those. Um, and even though Kate Orman kind of gets on out there, I do like Kate Orman books. Oh, yeah. Um, now, uh, one that I don't particularly get, but a lot of people love, and he's written for the new series too, is Gareth Roberts. He gets a little too silly for me. I, I like to have silly characters, but I like my stories to be more, uh, you know, serious. But his, he, he's very much in that sort of Douglas Adams sort of style of being very, like, the situations themselves are kind of ridiculous. Um, and it gets kind of a bit out there for me, but uh, that's one that if you like that kind of thing, he's a, he's a good writer. And then what do you gravitate towards? Oh gosh, um, and your you know, giant bookshelf full oh, of things. Oh yeah, there's so many. Um, yeah, one of the one of the uh, authors I particularly like, and I cannot pronounce his name, Peter Ang Angelides or something. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, An Angelides. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that's, a lot. That's of the only way I know that because yeah, yes, yeah. reading it I would never have known. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, I think he did. He write um, Alien Bodies. Was that one of his? No, that's Lawrence Miles. Okay, I really enjoy Lawrence's stuff, especially um, the whole faction paradox, um, mm -hmm. you know, story arc uh, that happened with Eighth Doctor. Uh, I think that's really well worth reading. Um, it's kind of long. It's a lot of lot of books uh, in that kind of arc, but uh, yeah, very intriguing stuff. Uh, boy, uh, I will just put a little segue in there while Nathan's thinking. Here's the difference to me between the New Adventures, which were Seventh Doctor, and then once the movie happened, their BBC books took over and became the Eighth Doctor Adventures, is that the New Adventures, to me, had a lot of payoff for their storylines. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Eighth Doctor Adventures, it seemed like they never quite knew where they were going, and they'd have interesting storylines, like what Nathan's talking about with Faction Paradox, that then they kind of decided... It's a long time to develop. Yeah. Right, well, and then they kind of decided, well, we don't like Faction Paradox anymore, so we bring in a different writer who wasn't writing the storyline before, and we're just ending it. And there were a lot of storylines like that in the Eighth Doctor Adventures that felt to me like we didn't have any payoff because they just kind of abruptly ended it. So I, I always preferred the new adventures. Yeah, um, and there, there are some some you know, let's let's say venerable authors from the 
older times, who, um, whose output has been uneven. Uh, but uh, you I, know, I know who still, you're talking they're about. They're still, you know, fun to read, definitely. Uh, yeah, well, here's the thing, because I'm sure you're talking about Terrence Dix, so I'll just put it out. All right. <laughs> Some of his are brilliant. They are. And it just yeah. seems like it just depends on when he's getting the commission to write the book or not, if he has enough time or whatever, or if he's just going to dash it out, or if he's going to sit there and, and actually think. Timeworm Exodus, which, I, which mm-hmm. is one of those first four books, is excellent. It is a sequel to the War Games. It is fantastic, um, well-thought-out story. And then you get stuff like um, Shakedown. Well, just you know, throw I didn't mind Shakedown. You didn't mind Shakedown. I didn't mind okay. Shakedown uh, for the the interesting stuff he did with the Rutan. Uh, okay, what's the one he did with Morbius with the Fifth oh, Doctor? That one was, that awful. was awful. What was that? Um, yeah, uh, I can't remember what it was called I can't, anymore. I but anyway, yeah, he. But yeah, the the, the quality <laughs> level just is all over the place. Uh, now that's a great point because uh, I am one of those people that uh, I walked into dealing room today, saw all the big finish, and there's more big finish than there were ever episodes. And I'm like, well, I don't know where to start. And yeah. and listening to uh, Nathan and Nathan, it's like, well, this one's good, but this one's terrible. Right. And there's so much you just don't want to waste your time. Right. So what's your, what's your, do you ever bail on these? Do you ever get a book or get a big finish and go, oh, I can't even? I've finished everything that I have started. Your the, eyes got really hard. Some, some <laughs> going. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. one, the hardest one. It's funny because I don't think that this is the worst of the books, but maybe it just had to do it at the time of my life. It is a really bad one, though, mm-hmm. is Parasite, which was one of the new adventures. Oh, yeah. And I must have started and stopped that book at least six times and gone into It took me like six or seven months mm-hmm. to read this book just because it was such hard-going um, it's Jim Mortimer, I think, who I find his books kind of difficult. The only one of his books that I didn't find difficult was the one he co-wrote with Andy Lane. So I'm going to attribute that to Andy Lane's influence. Uh, but I just find his books really hard going. And Parasite, it's very much um, an Arthur C. Clarke, if you're familiar with the Rama series. Mm-hmm. But it's like, take away all like the good writing and try to do that thing of you're inside like basically an alien being that's like also like mm-hmm. a spaceship. And it's like, it's very interesting and sort of a cerebral way of, uh, you know, likening different like bodily functions to actual, you know, beings that exist inside there and you interact with, but it's, 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 oh God, is it boring? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I've toughed out every single one that I've, I started, but some of them took a lot longer than others, let's just say. I I will say though, I bailed on Big Finish entirely when the new series came out because I feel like there was a run in that period in 2004. Maybe it was early 2005. It was either late 2004 or 2005, where I was just like, man, these are just awful right now. And I was like, and they're probably going to get canceled anyway because the new series is coming out. And so I just sort of stopped. And, you know, I just started watching the new series, and that's what I did. But since then, uh, you know, I've kind of come back to Big Finish, um, you know, and now that's part, part of the reason why it's hard for me and I'm listening to so many of them is because I'm catching back up because there's such a long gap there. Uh, I've been back for, I think, four years now and I'm still catching up. Uh, This is actually a great year to do it because we haven't had anything on mm -hmm. television. I mean, we'll have the Christmas special, but we haven't had anything since last year's Christmas special. So this is probably a great way to catch up and and get your who fix. I know. It it does sort of have, uh, you know, sort of disturbing uh, echoes of that 14-year drought, though, that uh, we had uh, between 89 and, you know, starting a new series. Right. And it seems like that was the golden era of mm-hmm. all of these books and things coming yes. out. They were, they were serving that need of 
filling that space. Uh, the Star Trek novels were the same way in the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, between the movies and the show ending was that was the only place you could get content. Right. Mm-hmm. And but now with the main one being out, there, uh, I whenever I look at expanded universe, I always think of what George Lucas said: was mm-hmm. everything counted until he made Phantom Menace, and then nothing counted. Right. Yes. Because he didn't want to be bothered reading all those books. He just wanted to write his scripts and do what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And when people brought up problems, he's like, "Stuff I didn't do doesn't count." Mm-hmm. And that's that's always kind of like kind of stabbed. Expanded universe to me uh, in general. Yeah, you're gonna get me on my soapbox here because that's the thing that I absolutely hate. Um, because it's you, you, you create a fan community. You you serve that fan community and you give them content. I mean, the same thing's going on with Star Wars again mm-hmm. with the with the sequels uh, with Force Awakens, where they're basically like everything. You know, before George Lucas was like only the contradictions don't count. You can count everything else. But basically, when Disney took over, it was the entire EU, every single book you've ever read. It's all wrong. Right. It never happened. Yeah. And that's what. And with Star Wars, it's probably going to be one of those things that's never going to impact them negatively because it has such a big following mm-hmm. and. Primarily, the followers are people who have only seen movies, uh, and so they're not, they didn't read the books. But uh, it, it is, it's hard because it makes me very angry because this is stuff that I like and cared about, and I'd like to see them be able to use those elements. I mean, people say, well, it still doesn't take away or erase those things, you know, you still have them on your bookshelf or whatever, but if they're never going to use that content again, it means they can't ever expand on it, which is one of the nice things about these expanded universes. Is it's like, oh, you know, a few years down the line, an author may say, like, oh, this, this person did this thing with this, and I, and I really like that, and I'm going to use it. And mm-hmm. that's why I don't like con- discontinuities. I like for everything to sort of meet together. And even though people always say it's too hard to do it, you know, for years, you know, various ranges. Star Wars is the best example. Comics, video games, books, they all agreed with each other. I mean, vastly different media that all had some sort of oversight that made sure that they all agreed. So it is possible, it's just some people don't want to put the effort into making it happen. Well, that's why when Doctor Who decided to keep the continuity with New Who, they could have said, nope, yeah. last mm-hmm. Who's done, you know, Reboot. There's, been, there's been a 10 year gap, we've lost a generation, mm-hmm. the people X years and older will probably just keep to the old Doctor mm-hmm. Who and we'll just go for the kids. Right. But they didn't. They kept everything yeah. continuity. In fact, it's created the problems when Eccleston didn't want to come back and be the War Doctor. Yeah. Right. But then we got the War Doctor. Yeah. He was phenomenal. Yes. We got John Hurt. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and speaking of that, I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard any of the, the big finish John Hurt War Doctors. I know stuff. That they exist. Yeah. They're fantastic. Yeah. I highly recommend them. Um, you know, so I, I think it, it's really, it was a remarkable decision that they made, you know, to preserve the continuity. And uh, Doctor Who has always been very respectful of, of its own you know, history mm-hmm. in that way. But it's um, so elastic compared it to is, It is, it they, is. They've allowed, you know, some, some wiggle room. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of the most remar- remarkable things about this show. Yeah, you, you don't have years. to reboot it because you could do a completely different show and still have it fit. Yeah. You can regenerate them into whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You could essentially change the TARDIS chameleon circuit oh, yeah. if you didn't want that phone box. But it would still be Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, I mean, one of the things that I've heard is that that was a huge, uh, the BBC wanted to push that when they were bringing the series back. They said, let's just reboot it, start it over. And re- it was Russell T. Davies who said, no, we're going to keep the established continuity. So that, that's really something we should all be thankful to him for, that they, they did keep that because he pushed for that. It was brave. I just wanted to bring this up. There was a David Tennant, uh, a Tenth Doctor book I used to own. I think it was called Forever Autumn, but I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. But 
doctor is investigating a child's disappearance. So he's in the bedroom that's filled with like sci-fi paraphernalia. Um, and like Martha and Jones and Ham start to talk about like where Star Wars went, and they talk about like Jar Jar Banks, and she says it's probably the worst thing that George Lucas came up with. And the doctor makes like a joke. Uh, oh no, George Lucas didn't create Star Wars; he only received psychic historical documents to create the franchise. I love that in the Doctor Who universe, Star Wars is fictional. <laughs> yes. Apparently, in the Doctor Who universe, Star Wars is canon, but it's also a series. Yeah. <laughs> that and the, ten, and the tenth Doctor told us that the Muppet movie existed in the Doctor Who universe. Well, one of the funny <laughs> things they reference Star Trek as well, don't they? Like, you know, they it call did. It, well, I know they landed in 1979, and, yeah, yeah. and Tenet went great. The Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. It's great. Harry Potter is fictional because of the episode with Shakespeare. Right. Oh, right. He mentions J.K. Yes. Rowling. They mention J.K. Rowling. Yeah. They do. But Shakespeare is real, and so are witches. And yep. the comedy set across over with Star Trek. Yeah, which is a great comic. <laughs> I, I was the one thing I was disappointed with with the comic was there's an if you've never read it, uh, they did IDW did Doctor Who uh, Star Trek Next Generation crossover mm-hmm. where the TARDIS appears in the holodeck and then Picard and Matt Smith have to mm-hmm. deal with each other. And there's a flashback in one issue where they went, wait, we met before, and it, Tom Baker meets William Shatner. <laughs> and when that happened, my head exploded. I was like, we're going to get everything. <laughs> we're going to get Peter Davison meeting Cisco. And uh, they, they didn't quite push it to the other series, but I, I always wanted to see a sequel that dealt with Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise and the other Doctors. Dude, that feels a bit like when Star Trek and X-Men crossed over to me. It's oh, that's the craziest comic I've ever oh, read. Oh, yeah. What? That came out the same year as when Archie met the Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The 90s was, was a weird shit. time yeah. for comics. Meeting, right? Yeah, yes. no, no well, yeah, the Punisher came to Riverdale to kill a drug dealer, <laughs> who apparently exists now in Riverdale. But the Star Trek X-Men one is so crazy because it was in the 90s, and it was they were drawn very Jim Lee, very like extreme, mm. like the Fox Kids show. But then they just drew them onto like the original series Enterprise and it looked like somebody took a gold key Star Trek comic and just kept drawing Wolverine on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well remember and then there was the next they did a sequel one of Next Generation and X-Men. Oh I never even read that. Yeah and then it actually went into a novel and then they had a novel it was one of the Star Trek novels continued the story (laughs) from the comic of the Star Trek Next Generation X-Men. Now then here's a question we've had a Star Trek Doctor Who. I love that story but I could never consider it personal canon. Like, yeah. where does the where does that line draw? I mean, we're we're in one franchise and into another one. I think that you know the the flexibility of comics, you know, doing these sort of like alternate universe type of uh, you know things that they do all the time, pretty yeah. much. You know, uh, it's I think it's allowed, but I again I would I would not consider yeah, but it I wouldn't to be say it continuity happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And is that a question? Do you get to a point where there's just so many stories that? Uh, do you worry about how everything fits together with this? Or are you just going, well, here's another adventure. I'm going to block out everything else that happened and like, just take it like on Some people get really obsessive about, like, you know, unit dating. Like, mm-hmm. when do the unit stories happen in real time? You know, some people argue it's the 70s. Some people argue it's the 80s, you know? It's, it's clearly the 70s. Yes, but, like, <laughs> it, you know, some, some people really care about that and others, right. others don't. So I, I guess it's a personal decision. Right. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, canon goes, I mean, that that can uh, be a useful tool, though, when you're trying to limit media. I mean, because there are certain things that Big Finish do that are tangentially Doctor Who-related, like Iris Wildtime, which I don't really particularly consider canon, because pretty much everything Paul Mars writes that is Doctor Who, he tries to make purposefully, like, not fit in with other things. Mm-hmm. And he, he always throws in references and things that, like, you know, make it difficult to work things in. And so I kind of, like, just discount 
you know, the Carol character of Iris Wildtime, everything that she's in, it's just kind of like, that's off in some parallel universe somewhere, so I don't really worry about it. Well, is it too much for the characters? Because we, we've had talked about this before. Doctor Who gets away with it because you can regenerate him, and, and he mm -hmm. effectively can go on forever. And they'll find an excuse for the 13th, 15th, 20th regeneration. Mm -hmm. But for the human characters, or other non-immortal characters, how much can they possibly do? Like, how many stories can Joe Grant possibly have in the time that, in her, we're presuming, early 20s, mm -hmm. to where she leaves the show and then, you know, gets out? How much could she have possibly packed in those years in a real continuity lifetime? Well, here's the thing with that, and that's something that I've thought about before, too. Season breaks are our friends there. Because mm -hmm. you think about it, how much time actually occurs in a television story? Yeah, it might have been four, week, four episodes, six episodes, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, it was shown over a certain number of weeks. But, you know, usually, you know, only one or two days within that character's life have. I mean, some of the early Hartnell's ones, like Marco Polo, yeah, they're, they're there for like a month. But that's usually not how long that the stories happen. So because of that, so, so for instance, let's take Ian. Uh, Ian and Barbara, you know, they're supposedly with the Doctor for two years. They never quite say that outright, but they arrive back in 1965 and they left in 1963. They consider it okay. The novelization for The Chase actually specifically says that they've lived two years within the TARDIS and the Doctor purposefully sends them to 1965. Um, and so because of that, um, you know, there's room because the amount of screen time that's actually taken place for them is we may be seeing like three months of that two-year snapshot. So if they're coming out with more companion chronicles that feature them or novels that feature them, to me it's like, okay, that fits in with that, that huge amount of time that we still haven't seen. Now, Joe's a special case because she lived on Earth during what one would expect you know, were mostly normal days of her life, you know, and there wasn't an alien invasion every week. <laughs> so. She wasn't on the TARDIS jumping back and possibly jumping back to the moment she left. Right, right. exactly. So there you're right. That one's a very different case, but for the most part with Companions, there's a huge room in their life where if you imagine they spent the same number of years with the Doctor that they did on TV, and we've only seen a small smidge of that, mm -hmm. that you could expand um, into. I just wanted to uh, answer, there actually is an alternate universe that Doctor visits where a lot of franchises like Sherlock Holmes and Star Trek are, both, are all canon. Like they're all in, happened in that universe. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a book called The All-Consuming Fire where the Seventh Doctor goes and visits Sherlock Holmes. But, like, That's a really good one. Yes, that is one of the good ones. Yeah. H.P. Lovecraft, Cthulhu Monsters. And mm -hmm. That's the way they explain the crossover out of continuity. He visits that other universe where they do huh. exist outside of Doctor Universe. And that's why Sherlock Holmes is fictional in the Doctor Who universe, but real in that. Is that the big finish adaptation of that, that that has it as an alternate universe? Because in the New Adventures, it wasn't an alternate universe. They just said Sherlock Holmes exists in the Doctor Who universe. Um, which it's a it's a from the seventh it's a virgin. Yeah, it's one of the virgin new adventures, but it wasn't an alternate universe. It was part of the universe of the seventh doctor that they were doing at that time. Now, big finish when they adapted it because they just recently adapted it, which I haven't listened to. They might have said I think they, that. I think they did say it was a different universe he visits. I did listen just, to it recently, but I can't recall. Well, yeah, the the great old ones come from a different universe, but that's just sure. they're just pulling from the H.P. Lovecraft yeah. uh, mythology there, but it's not a different universe. Well, that helps everybody that wants to see Peter Capaldi and Benedict Cumberbatch in the same episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Big Finish used Nick Briggs as Sherlock Holmes because he does a, a series of Sherlock Holmes audios 
Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so when he the doctor really good on it. Does, he, does Chuck Sherlock Holmes sound like a Dalek? No. Hello, my pretty Watson. But you know, we're almost out of time. Um, I think we should just leave off with what is your favorite piece of expanded universe? Mm. Your favorite book? Your favorite big favorite? Or at least, what would you recommend? I've got so many. That's the problem. Um, I guess for me, my favorite big finish right now, because it changes as I listen to things constantly, um, is a companion chronicle uh, told from Ian's point of view called The Rocket Men. It's very much in that 60s style of serialized adventure. I mean, it's, it's basically the Rocketeer or Commander Cody or whatever it was called that used to be in the old serials and whatnot. But it's kind of like, what a Doctor Who decided to do that? And it's a really good one because like most of the Companion Chronicles, which is a range that I really love and I don't like the fact they've scaled those back, is it's very much focused on Ian and his and his, where he was in that sort of second season towards the end with the Doctor and how he was coming to realize you know, his relationship with Barbara. And it, it's, it's super well done. It's told in a very modern style where it's not linear. And you know, a lot of programs nowadays, they cut between two different time periods. And it does that. It's not uh, a lot of Companion Chronicles are just the character talking in the present and just talking about what happened to him. This is much more dynamic in how it flows together. And it's, it's a really well done piece. And I would really recommend that one for anyone. Uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm very much into the War Doctor right now. <laughs> um, so I highly recommend his audios. I've listened to the first sort of a collection of them. I'm going to buy the other two this weekend because uh, they're just really good. Um, George Mann's uh, War Doctor novel, uh, Engines of War, is also very, very good. Um, we were very excited actually to work with him this year on, um, he scripted a story pack for Doctor Who Legacy uh, that we provided the artwork for. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he, he's just a really, really interesting writer. I like his stuff a lot. Yeah, I already mentioned the Star Trek uh, Doctor Who crossover, which I, I still think is fantastic, the Tiptons wrote it. Uh, it's an eight-issue series, and there's a trade paperback of it. Uh, it was one of the best inter-franchise crossovers I've ever read. They're usually, they're not a great fit together. And this managed to get the tone of both franchises just right. But uh, I want to thank you guys for coming on. Um, thank Chicago Tartarus for having us, and you guys have asked some great questions. Uh, Nathan and Nathan, how do we find you? Uh, you can find my blog at blogger, that's B-L-O-G-G-E-R underscore who dot livejournal dot com, and you will be able to find me at www.42cast.com in January. Uh, well, uh, you can find uh, our stuff here in the dealer room, actually. We're also online at uh, pixelwho.com. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, come by. We'd love to chat with you guys. That's one of the reasons we love doing these conventions. Um, yeah, and you can listen to Caffeinated Comics, which is my podcast, and uh, you're all on it now because we've recorded this panel. Uh, <laughs> that's available on iTunes. It's available on Stitcher. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Not in My Book, and we also have a Caffeinated Comics Facebook page where we tend to post a lot of news, like uh, when the latest Doctor Who trailer comes out. But uh, thank you guys for coming. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of Tardis. You have been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2020. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. 
check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.